Your walk with the Lord is best done in community. Speaking about personal faith is a popular idea, but there's no accountability. We all have blind spots, and seeing your heart reflected against others is vital to our growth. As Pastor Daniel teaches today, there is support, modeling, and even disagreement in community. With communication and prayer, you have no choice but to constantly reflect and refocus. Now, here's Pastor Daniel with part two of his message entitled, So It Begins. that God is long-suffering in His love, that God just doesn't write us off. Because we're write-offable. We are. Because we're, we're prone to rebellion. We're prone to, even though we know what to do, we still go the other way. And even you could be sitting at the feet of God for seven days straight, and you are still got all these aberrant thoughts, dreams, ideas, visions. It's like your brain runs. I mean, just imagine if we put everyone's thoughts up there, a picture of you and all the thoughts you had today. That would stink, wouldn't it? That would not make church very fun at all. Because like, it's like your picture would go up and you're like, and all these crazy things that you've thought today would pop up and you'd be like crawling under the pew, but then the next person would get up there. And it's like, and we all fail at that test. Because some of the things that we spend time pondering, thinking about, fantasizing about, it's all, it's just all messed up. So right as they're done with this period of consecration, this period of hiddenness, quietness, first thing, Moses is like, Aaron, you need a sin offering and a burnt offering because you've built up some sin since then. And brothers and sisters, that's why I'm here to tell you, keep short accounts with God and with other people. You don't want it to build up because it builds up too fast. It's like, be quick to confess to the Lord, to ask for forgiveness from people. Most interpersonal issues are not huge. There are a lot of little things that have been built up that become huge things. Those of you who are married, you know what this is like. Because you sweep enough stuff under the rug, and what happens? You start tripping over the rug. And it's like, someone just left the door open and someone's flying off the handle. It's like, you just left the door, I just left the door open, but it's not about that, it's about that, and like, 15 other things that happened. So God's design is that we keep short accounts with him. We confess and we say, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for those aberrant thoughts. I'm sorry for my rebellion. I'm sorry for the little lies, these, all these things. And with people, you say, look, I'm sorry because I realize that God's working on me. I'm not perfected. So it's interesting that right away, sin offering for you guys. Right away. And again, the priests 
are, have their offerings for them before they're allowed to offer offerings for the people. Why? Because in order to be somebody involved in helping other people be cleansed, we have to first be cleansed. And that is why God calls the people of God priests. That's why we're priests. Because if you're here today and you put your faith and trust in Jesus, God's cleansed you. And God is cleansing you. It, it's already and not yet. It's happened and it's happening. Right? And because we've been cleansed, now we can be useful to God as people who are cleansed and are being cleansed to help other people understand the gospel, understand God's grace, and have the exact same experience that we're having as well. Now look at verse three. It says, and to the children of Israel, you shall speak saying, take a kid of the goats as a sin offering and a calf and a lamb, both of the first year without blemish as a burnt offering, also a bull and a ram as peace offerings to sacrifice before the Lord and a grain offering mixed with oil for today, the Lord will appear to you. Now notice, now it's Aaron's turn. Aaron hasn't had a whole lot to do except be instructed by Moses. But Moses says, look, I want you to do a, an offering for yourself, and now I want you to go to talk to the children of Israel. So Moses is now inviting, by God's design, Aaron to have a ministry of his own, not just as Moses' sidekick. Now Aaron's time is to tell the children of Israel, listen, it's time for you to bring all the offerings. I notice you get the sin offering, the burnt offering, the peace offering, the grain offering. All these offerings are here. Why? Why all these offerings? Because for today, the Lord will appear to you. This is all about God's tangible, visible presence in the midst of his people. And that's God's goal. God's goal is that the people of God would be the tangible, visible presence of God in the world. That's what God wants. God forgives us so that we might be the temple of the Holy Spirit, an opportunity for the world to see who he is in the lives of people who are broken and fallen. God's design is to reveal himself. And I really pray for us as not only crossroads, but as the greater body of Christ, that we take up that mantle and say, God, I want our lives to be a living example to the world of what the presence of God looks like in the midst of broken people. We should have an expectant faith. Every time we gather together, because we're two or three are gathered together, he's in our midst now. There's a lot more than two or three in this place right now. So that means when we gather together in his name, he is present within us. And we should have an expectancy as we worship, an expectancy as we gather, and not only here in the sanctuary, but when we gather two by two, three by three, six by six, eight by eight together, we should expect God to be there because he is. And we should have that expectant faith because God wants to reveal himself to us and in us and through us to the world. Now in verse five, look at what happens. So they brought what Moses commanded before the tabernacle of meeting, verse five. And all the congregation drew near and stood before the Lord. Then Moses said, this is the thing which the Lord commanded you to do, and the glory of the Lord will appear to you. And Moses said to Aaron, go to the altar, offer your sin offering and your burn offering and make atonement for yourself. And for the people, offer the offering of the people and make atonement for them as the Lord commanded them. Now this is a congregational happening. The people have all gathered together now. And now it's all beginning. 
Aaron is reminded that he needs to offer the sacrifice for himself and for the people. Now notice again in verse 6, and the glory of the Lord will appear to you. That's powerful. See, because when the Lord appears, his glory appears. Because God is infinitely glorious. Like, we should be glory junkies. You never thought about that, did you, before? We, we should be junkies for God's glory. We should say, God, I want to see your glory. Like Moses prayed in the end of the book of Exodus. Lord, show me your glory. That word glory, it literally means the heaviness of God. Like that God is, he's heavy when he shows up. And, and it's kind of like the Beatles, she's so heavy. The Beatles didn't mean that she was large. It meant that, that, that her presence is serious. And that's who the Lord is. And I, I, you never thought I'd use a Beatle reference to explain the glory of God, but it's possible. See, God's glory should be heavy in our midst. We should be the kind of people that are, are we're seeking after God's glory. We're saying, Lord, I want your glory to be revealed in us and through us, in my life and through my life. Lord, your tangible heaviness to be revealed in my life. Because you know what? When you see somebody who's seeking hard after God's glory, there's a different quality to who they are, isn't there? You can, you can sense it. You're just in their presence, and you're like, yeah, there it is. So when God appears, his glory is revealed in people, in us. Now, in verse 8, we have Aaron's sacrifices. Look what it says. Aaron, therefore, went to the altar and killed the calf of the sin offering, which was for himself. Then the sons of Aaron brought the blood to him, and he dipped his finger in the blood, put it on the horns of the altar, and poured the blood at the base of the altar. But the fat, the kidneys, and the fatty lobe from the liver of the sin offering, he burned on the altar as the Lord commanded Moses. The flesh and the hide he burned with fire outside the camp. So Aaron begins with his own sin offering, and he does it in the manner that had been prescribed for him. We, so we studied all this. These different pieces were done in different ways. Aaron begins with the sin offering. His, notice his sons help him in the process. So he was responsible for killing the animal, but his sons were there to support him. And again, once again, we learn that your walk with the Lord is best done in community. You want people along the ride with you. Because people help protect you. They help bear the burden of your growth. That's why we've been really encouraging people to get into a group. A small group of believers who are growing together, who are studying together, who are being raised up, who are stepping out and doing mission together. Because in community, there are people who will walk with you. When we're on our own, we're left up to our own devices. We all have blind spots. I'll never forget when Lynn and I got married, about like a month into being married, Lynn said, I never realized I was so sinful until I married you. And I know that she meant that because I'm not sinful, right? And it's not. You, you guys are so nice. You guys are like, yeah, right, Fusco, we know about you. But it's like because you have a mirror of another person who you're living with when you're married and you're living with them and, th and you're grumpiness, your selfishness, all these things get reflected off this other person. 
Now, in marriage, for a lot of us, we just want to blame our spouses for that. But it's, you know, it's really not their fault. We're just are who we are, and they're reflecting us back, right? And so what happens when you grow in community with other people, there's going to be all sorts of junk that comes up because there are going to be people who are reflecting you back to you. People are going to be modeling new ways to be. There's going to be disagreements because we're all growing. And so when you do it in community, there's people who bear the burden with you. There's people who pray for you. Because in those groups, when life starts coming out and struggles start coming out and all this stuff starts happening, all of a sudden you have people who are praying for you. And then when you're doing it without community and you go off the rails, you just kind of go away and maybe nobody notices. But when you're in community, people start calling you and texting you and Facebooking you and tweeting you and, hey, what are you doing? Are you okay? I haven't seen you. And you haven't been in a group for a couple weeks. And then before you know it, people are after you. And they're after you because they love you and they know that if you're out of communication, it's probably because you're off the rails. And then you don't want to have to be the person that says, yes, I'm off the rails. And so you get yourself back together and you come back. And that's exactly what God wants. That's exactly what God wants. But that's also what we fear, isn't it, about groups? We fear letting people behind the veil. We fear people realizing that we're not perfect. But God already knew that we weren't. So brothers and sisters, get into that group. I just imagine Aaron and his sons as they're serving the people of God together, talking about what they're experiencing, being able to be there for each other, help each other bear the burden of life and what it is and how it is and what happens. And so brothers and sisters, get in the community with other believers. We're launching groups all the time here at Crossroads. Every ministry has got a groups component. When we're launching groups outside, just, just, ha- just have them. They can be their co-ed, they can be all single people, all married people. Married and single people, there's no rules. It's just about getting in community together. I know as a single person, I love being in, in groups with married folks. Because I, I did, you know, it's not like when you get married, all of a sudden you know how to do everything. You don't know do anything. So I learned all these things about a godly marriage from married, you know, brothers and sisters in the Lord. And they were explaining them. I'm like, I don't know what that's going to look like, but sounds good. I'll file it away. And then when I got married, I'm like, oh yeah, they were right. And I was not ready. But you learn that, and there's nuances. I mean, for those of you who are married, when you're in a group with single people, of course, according to 1 Corinthians 7, when you're single, all, the only person you're responsible to is the Lord. So when you're, when you're single and God calls you to go to Afghanistan as a missionary, you say, okay, I'm going. When you're married, you have to ask your wife, hey, can we go to Afghanistan? She's like, no. <laughs> the Lord spoke to you. He's going to speak to me too. The unencumberedness for a single person. They can go anywhere God asks them to go at any time. And so, but when you put those two together in community, God's blessed and honored in that environment because you have the zealousness and the, and the freedom of an unmarried person. And then you have the commitment and blessing of marriage. And you put them together. And then there's, there's that work that God does in the midst of the two different sets of responsibilities, but both seeking to honor the Lord. And there's also that place for just all singles in a, in a community group or all marrieds in a group or all women in a group or all men in a group or all younger people in a group. See, it doesn't have to be isolated or siloed. But in the midst of those community of relationships, you start growing a lot because people know you and they call you on your stuff. It reminds you of who you're 
who you are in Christ, not who you act like when you're left up to your own devices outside of the Lord. So it's just totally cool. I just imagine, and this is a family. Imagine doing ministry with just your family, Aaron and his sons. Oh, yeah, right? Talk about some serious discipleship. I mean, you guys watch Duck Dynasty. These guys are all in a business together. It's nuts what those guys are up to, you know? I'll be, I never watched it. Everyone talks to me about their beards. So I'm like, I'll check out those guys' beards. And I watched one of their episodes. It was cracking me up. They were trying to catch a lizard. The whole episode was these guys trying to catch a lizard. I'm like, this is, I don't even understand what's going on. You guys, some of you guys saw that episode, right? They had to call like the old guy. Because he's the guy who had to, never mind. I'm off the rails. But um, imagine doing ministry with only your immediate family. <laughs> Talk about some serious turn up the fire discipleship, right? It's like you're doing it with your dad and your brothers. Man. But they did it in community together. Now, look at what happens. So, so from there, in verse 12, it says, And he killed the burnt offering, and Aaron's sons presented him the blood, which he sprinkled all around the altar. Verse 13, Then they presented the burnt offering to him with its pieces and head, and he burned them on the altar. Verse 14, and he washed the entrails and the legs and burned them with the burnt offering on the altar. So it starts with the sin offering. Now it moves to the burnt offering. And remember, we saw all this already. So if, if you missed out on this, just go back in our archives. We took one Wednesday on a sin offering, one Wednesday on a burnt offering. We talked about the differences. Some of them are washed. Some of them were dismembered in all these different ways. So we've already been there. But he does the sin offering. Then he does the burnt offering. In verse 15, then he brought the people's offering and took the goat, which was the sin offering for the people, and killed it and offered it for sin like the first one. Verse 16, and he brought the burnt offering and offered it according to the prescribed manner. Then he brought the grain offering, took a handful of it, and burned it on the altar besides the burnt sacrifice of the morning. So, after Aaron and his sons do their offerings for themselves, then again they go and they do the offering for the people. The burnt offering, the grain offering. Notice it says that they do it in the prescribed manner. And we always, every time we see this, we talk about this. We need to be simply obedient to God's word. It sounds so simplistic, but when push comes to shove in the revolutions of our lives, it's just not that simplistic, is it? It's hard to be obedient. God says, I want you to love and forgive. And you're like, well, no, I don't want to. God says, hey, I want you to honor me with your finances and with your body. And you're like, well, no, because I have other ideas about what I'm going to do. And every time I see in the Bible that someone is just simply obedient, I'm just like, I just like kind of make a mental note of it. Like, Lord, I want to just be simply obedient. I want to just do what you ask me to do. The simplest interpretation of a text See, I always know that I'm in trouble when I start trying to find a way out of the simplest interpretation of a text. That's when I know that I'm pushing the envelope of what's acceptable. because I don't like what it says, so I'm trying to find a way out of it. And that's always, like, that's a spot that needs to be looked at. Every time you're like, well, yeah, I mean, it might say that, but it really means this. Right? And we know that we do that because we don't want to just simply submit to the Lord we want to be our own gods. We want to do it our own way with our own set of ideas. But God has a specific way he wants us to live. Think about it. God took the time 
and the energy to inspire human authors, not only to write all this stuff down, but for all this to be preserved so that we can understand his heart, not just from nature in a general way or just individually as God speaks to us, but in a book. Like God gave us a manual for how we are supposed to do life. And it's so easy to know it, but not live it. And we just need to simply live it. We need to say, Lord, give me the grace to do what this says, to do what you ask of me. Lord, help me by your spirit to not be a rebellious child, but be a, a simply obedient child. I'm just going to respond to you. Your word says do this. I'm just going to do it. Your word tells me to do that. I'm just going to do it. And Lord, I'm going to trust that you are going to work it out. I know for a lot of people, I was just talking to someone about this today, about the idea of tithing and giving. And they're like, yeah, you know, I just, I just can't do it. I'm like, well, no, you can. You just don't want to. They're like, well, how can I? I'm like, well, do you pay, do you put gas in your car? Sure. Well, how'd you do that? Well, I need gas in the car. Exactly. Do you put food on the table? Yeah. How'd you do that? Well, I just went to the store. Yeah. It's that easy. We choose what we spend our money on. We choose what we do. And I said, hey, listen, I'll be honest with you. I got saved. I read in the Bible you're supposed to give. 10% is the standard. There's a tithe. That's 10. An offering. That's above. Now, I don't do that to get saved. But if that's God's saying, I'm just going to do that. So when I was making 500 bucks a month, I just tithed 50 bucks. And then as you make more, you tithe more. And, and I just got used to it. And what I found is that when you're a tither, you start thinking about your money differently. Because that's not like, a, hey, I'll just get to it if I have it. You're like, I just do that. And then you start like, well, if I'm going to do this, this, and this, then I'm not going to be able to do that. And so you start making all your decisions based on how do I give God his first fruits because he deserves it. Because the only reason I'm here is because God's given me life and breath. The only reason I have a job is because God's given me hands and a mouth and a brain. And sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't. But it's, I'm only here because God's given me, so I'm going to honor him with it. And what's amazing is, is when you live your life that way, and I'm not patting myself on the back. I was just dumb enough to say, yeah, I'm going to just trust God. And what's amazing is I've never missed a bill in my whole life. That's my testimony. Never missed one bill. It hasn't always been on time. I've had to call some people sometimes like, hey, listen, I'm going to pay. It. Just, I don't have it yet. You know what I mean? But you know what? Even that's a step of faith. When you call someone up and say, like, I, can't, I can't get this done right now, but can I have a week? And they're like, sure. Thanks so much for calling. And you're like, all right. And then God provides, and you're like, thank you, Lord. And you write a little note. Thank you so much for being kind with me. And you're a good witness. See, we need to be naive enough to take God at his word. Because you know what happens when you take God at his word? You start to walk by faith. You know what happens when you walk by faith? You see how amazing God is. But when you walk by sight, you're limiting who God is in your life because you're not willing to try him. So we don't see all that God is. We see a silhouetted view of who he is because we're not willing to step out onto the water like Peter did and find out that you can actually walk on the water with the Lord. You're like, well, I can't walk on the water. All of my history tells me it's not possible, so I won't do it. Can you imagine after Peter walked on water, even for those first few steps, how much he must have boasted about that to the disciples? Jesus is real. If you're like me, you forget things all the time. Well, here's Pastor Daniel with something that will help you remember. 
Hey everyone, Pastor Daniel here. I don't know about you, but life is busy and it's so easy to forget things. Now, thankfully, I have a couple of wonderful ladies in my life that join me in helping to accomplish all that God has called me to. Of course, I think of my beautiful bride, Lynn. She keeps me on track in so many ways. And then of course, there's my ministry assistant, Margaret, here at Crossroads. She helps me to make sure that my schedule in the ministry is running smoothly. Now, I love how God uses these ladies and so many other people to help remind me of what's important. One of the easiest things to forget isn't daily things like the schedule. It's actually the most important thing. It's the fact that God is real and he is in heaven and he is with me all the time, wherever I go. It may sound silly, but I started wearing a bracelet that says real on it. This bracelet is a constant reminder to me that Jesus is real and that God's grace is real and his mercy and his love has been poured out into my life. And I wanna make this bracelet available to you as well. Here's Josh with some information about how you can get your very own real bracelet. Thanks, Pastor Daniel. To receive your very own real bracelet, check out JesusIsRealRadio.com and click on Partner. These handcrafted leather bracelets are available to anyone who supports Jesus Is Real Radio through the month of January with a gift of $20 or more. Again, to receive your very own real bracelet, log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and click on Partner. Again, that's JesusIsRealRadio.com. Please join us again for another edition of Jesus Is Real Radio.